Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Earlier this week, lawyers, attorneys for former President Donald Trump asked for a, uh, a stay. It was um, sort of like a break in the trial, um, the, the impeachment trial there. They asked for a, a, a break, a 24-hour break from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, which was interesting to me Um, particularly as I was studying this text all week, because of their reasoning. They didn't want to break um, for normal attorney maneuvers. They wanted a break for Shabbat. And so all over the news and newspapers and and talking heads and and all of the ways that we get news and, and the radio and such, there were people saying and using the word Shabbat. Shabbat is the word for Sabbath. The attorney for um, President Trump is a a Jew, a practicing Jew in his religion and in his faith. And they believe that they are to take a weekly break every um, seventh day of the week, from sundown on Friday till sundown on Saturday. Fascinating that everybody was talking about Shabbat. And here in our story here, Luke chapter 6, twice it tells us that and on the Shabbat. There was this details in these stories that happened. So we're going to be at Luke chapter 6, and maybe we can pick up a little bit of extra um, understanding of what it was that the president's, um, the former president's attorney was saying and, and what everybody was talking about, you know, some of those things that go behind it. Before we do get to that, those words, though, I wanted just to remind us about where we've been in this Jesus Is series, as we're looking at Jesus as introduced to us by um, Luke, the gospel writer, here's some of the things that we have discovered. Here's some of the things that we do now know. Uh, Because of John the Baptist ministry, we have realized that the children of God act like their father. They do what God does. That's just a marker of who we are. We have also seen that Jesus taught us to be generous and sacrificial in our love. That's what Jesus was. That's what we are supposed to do. His whole ministry was aimed at others, those on the outside, which is to say that he wasn't content with just having those on the inside. He geared the ministry. He geared what he did. His, his, his whole mission was for those on the outside of the family and bringing them in so that they could hear the gospel, each one of them. The call by Jesus goes out to every individual. Every person has been called by God to follow Jesus. And the appropriate response to following Jesus is what? That we would consider all that we have as nothing compared to following Jesus. That we would leave everything and chase after Jesus. And then last week, my friend Ryan from New Orleans, he explained to us and showed us that in the scripture there were people who followed Jesus in such a way that they did whatever they could do to get their friends into um, their being in front of Jesus. That's what we've seen thus far, and it brings us to Luke chapter 6, 1 through 11, where we're going we're to see a little bit more about this. I'm um, sorry, hold on just a second. Technology, right? On a Shabbat, he passed through a grain field, and his disciples were picking heads of grain and rubbing them in their hands and eating them. Now, 
If you're not familiar with grain or, or what's going on here, they're rubbing them in their hands to, to pull the, the outside of the grain off because the inside is what you, it's like shelling, um, I don't know, pistachios or something like that. They're, they're rubbing that. Wouldn't it be great if you could just do that and get the pistachio out? But anyways, they did that and they would get the, the wheat and then they would, they would eat it. And, um, but some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They, they didn't like that. And we'll talk about why they didn't like it. And Jesus answered them, Haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when they were hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. And then he told them, son, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of the Man, speaking of himself, he said, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then, Luke says, On another Shabbat. He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Okay, so that's what the Bible says. That's the actual word that Luke wrote down there. It just means kind of closed. I had a friend in junior college who, who had, his name was Mark, and his hand just developed that way. So um, we would call it disabled or something like that. He just couldn't open his hand fully, his right hand as well. So that's what's going on with this guy. And, and the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely. The religious leaders were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Tisk, tisk. So, they, uh, so that they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts. And he told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Shabbat or to do evil? to save life or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he told the man, stretch out your hand. And he did, and his hand opened. It was restored. It, was, it functioned the way that we would expect a hand to function. And they, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray together, and then we're going to try to apply this text to our lives. God, thank you so much for your word. May today we, we leave here excited about what you are doing here in the second family and through the second family. God, may we live each week resting in the reality that you are God and we are not. That you sent your son to die and to pay the price for our sins. And, and, and Lord, may we rest in the reality that we are not God and we need your son to heal and to save us. May we be more about the people than the rules. May we chase after you, thinking everything is nothing. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. So again, I just want to say thank you for being here, particularly those of you who are tuning in online. We're so glad that you are here. I did notice just a minute ago, I was, I was on um, the online feed there, and I know that Jim and Susan are watching. I also saw that the Robnets are joining us, and so we're so glad that you are here with us, and then the Bundricks, and, and many, many, many others. It looks like it's a record attendance for our online gathering, and so that's really cool. Church, would you welcome them into the, the church move? We're excited that you're here. I know some of you want to hear the big announcements. I know some of you just didn't want to um, die in the snow. Um, and so I hope none of you die in the snow. All right. And so here we go. Luke chapter 6. There are, it's two similar stories, right? Two stories. They both start the same way. And then on the Shabbat or on the Sabbath. The, the Shabbat is, like I said, a, a Jewish religious activity. It is a weekly activity where on the seventh day, the Jews are to not do any work. 
Okay, you had to prepare. Like if you were going to make a meal, you needed to make that on Friday so that you could eat it on Saturday. There were all these sort of rules that went with it, and you were not allowed to do any sort of work. And, and that's why the Pharisees are mad at the disciples, because they believed, not that they were eating, like when I read that story, I think, hey, don't eat that wheat. That's not your wheat. That's some farmer's wheat. You know, that's what I was kind of thinking. Like, why are you doing what is unlawful? You are stealing that's not why the Pharisees are mad in this story. They're mad in this story. Can you guess it? Because the disciples were doing this. They were working. They were laboring. All right? And I know this seems crazy that this is labor, but that's what the Pharisees were upset about. The Shabbat was supposed to be designed. God, God in fact, illustrates it for us or models it for us in creation. It says on the seventh day that he rested. And then he codified it when he gave the law. He says on the seventh day, you are to rest. I believe that God still wants us to partake in weekly rest. Why? Because it shows to the world that God is God and that we are not. That this world keeps spinning even if I am completely not in control. And this is important because we tend to try to earn our uh, place. Whether we want to tell everybody that, hey, I've earned a seat at this table, or if it's just in conversations, you know, like leadership tables, we want to go in there and let everybody know, hey, I'm supposed to be here. I've earned this. Or if it's in conversations where, where we're just kind of talking to people, we always do this, right? You're, you're hanging out with somebody and they start talking about like football or something, and you're like throwing out the one or two things you know about football, you know? It's totally outdated. It doesn't really matter. You're not even talking about the same football, you know? And so, but you're throwing it out there. Why? Because you want them to think you're, you're, you're worth this, that you've earned this. We do that all the time. We do that in our religion as well. We know that we are saved by faith through grace. We know that, that it is not of works lest any person should boast, right? We know these things, but then we still go to God with all the stuff we did. We're like, hey God, I, I know it's all on you, but you made a good investment on this one right here. All right, I read my Bible five, almost six times this week. I was nice to that person, and by nice I mean I wasn't mean. And so um, that should count, right? And so we bring all of this to God before God, and we say, look God, you, you know, I should be here. We're always wanting people to know, I should be here, all right? And I'll be just really honest with you. I struggle with that all the time. All the time I'm thinking, why in the world would anybody sit there for 20, that's the goal, usually it's 30, 45 minutes, listen to me preach, right? You know, why? We're all driving towards this. And what the Sabbath does is shows the world, hey, look, God is God. And, you know, I can't earn any of this. He's in control a few nights ago, y'all know that, you know that whole uh, feeling when you're, when you're laying in bed and you're trying to go to sleep and some random thought is keeping you awake? Sometimes it's like a conversation where you're having a whole fight with somebody in your brain. Y'all ever do that? Is that just me? Okay, so you're having a whole fight or you're refighting the fight in your brain, you know, and you're like, man, I should have said that, you know? And so that's going on or it's some just random thought like, man, I really need to change the oil. I gotta change the oil tomorrow, you know, that sort of stuff. The other night, you know what thought kept me from sleep? The thought of sleep. Just thinking about it. You ever thought about sleep? Let me keep you up tonight. Listen to this. Have you ever thought of the reality that every single person on the planet, everyone who has ever lived, everyone that ever will live, and all the ones that are alive right now, every day just go unconscious? <laughs> you ever thought about that? Like, I know it's not the same as unconscious. The sleep is different. But still, they just lay down, turn off their eyes and their ears, and just helpless. 
I mean, have you ever thought, I'm just laying there thinking, I could be attacked and there's nothing I can do about it, right? You know, we are the pinnacle of God's creation and every day we have to lay down and just be like slugs. I, I mean, we were like right here, this is our whole day and then this is our whole night. And we do that all the time. You do, I don't want to give you like a mental thing. I'm never sleeping again, you know, but um, I started thinking about that. And the amazing thing about it that, that, the, the, the God moment for me was how, how we do that. So many of us wake up from a necessary couple hours of helplessness to pretend our whole day like we are God. You are not God. You know how I know you're not God? You have to go to sleep. What the Sabbath does, what the Shabbat does is takes that unconscious decision, the thing that we just have to do that's just so natural to us, and it makes it conscious, where we willingly make the choice that today I do nothing, not because of laziness, but because of worship. That's what the Shabbat is. And somewhere in between the intertestimonial times, it had evolved into being something where it moved from I do nothing to show that God is God and I am not. And then in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they started adapting all of these rules to mean that now I do all of these things to show that God loves me. They literally turned it upside down. They took the meaning and flipped it upside down. They took the good and added all of these rules and they made it into something completely different. I do nothing because God is God and I am not. Now I do all of this because God is my God, because God loves me. See, they flipped all of that upside down. And this is where Jesus steps into twice, Luke says, and then on the Shabbat. So all of that's going on when a need arises. In both stories, these needs come to the forefront of the story. And that's not alien to the concept of Shabbat, right? We do this because we have a need, because we are God. The needs in this one are, first is food, they just needed to eat, and the second one was a man with a disabled hand. Food is necessary, like sleep, and the rest, uh, the withered hand is not necessarily life-threatening. Now, you've got to eat. You've got to eat every day. This, this gentleman with the hand that was closed, um, that's not life-threatening. It would have been life-altering for sure. There were many jobs, especially at that point. Earning a living for this gentleman would have been incredibly difficult because he only had use of one hand. And so there's this idea that these two needs arise, but neither of them are necessarily urgent. They're not life-threatening in this moment, which shows us something really clear about Jesus. Jesus cares about your small problems, about your non-urgent issues. Now, I'm not going to pretend like the man whose hand was closed. is That's a small thing. It's a big thing, but it wasn't urgent. Sometimes we think that Jesus only cares if your car skids off the road and you're hanging there, right? At that point, Jesus take the wheel, right? He doesn't really care about all the other challenges and the struggles that we go through, but Jesus does care. Jesus absolutely cares about the small and the big. There's also this concept that comes to mind here is just, I just love this kind of idea of ministry. Ministry is simply, this is what we ask of every person who joins with our church. Find a need and meet it. That's it. You know what we're so good at? overcomplicating things. We are so good at thinking things to complexity, 
all right? Jesus just walks around. He sees a need, and he can meet it, so he meets it. That's it. It's not hard. That's all we do. That's all we are supposed to do, and that's what Jesus does. So on the Shabbat, a need arises, and then Jesus provides for those needs. He does this because he is good and because he cares. In the first need where they needed food, he gave them grain. He gave them what they needed. In the second, he heals the hand. In both of these stories, the way that it's connected for Luke, the reason Luke is putting it in the story, I want to be very clear on this because the authors of the Bible had reasons for writing down what they wrote down. And we can't just go make it up, all right? We can't just decide. What we call it is like rip that verse out of context and say, now this verse applies to me in this special way. The author, Luke, had a reason for this. And the reason that he wrote this down was to show us what Jesus says in the middle of the story. What did he say in the middle of those two stories? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Meaning this, he's just saying this. Everything that you know in the Old Testament, everything about those stories and those commands, all of it is defined through Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment. That's what Luke is trying to show you in this story. And I'm sure that the disciples later on, they're going to pick that up. They're going to get that. When they start preaching, when they're turning the world upside down, Pentecost and the early church, they're going to know all of that. Maybe the, maybe the dude with the closed hand is getting that too. This guy's like in charge of something, right? I think that they're going to appreciate that. But in the moment, I think all they appreciated was that Jesus is really nice. He's kind. They're not sitting there thinking, man, I'm hungry. I wish I could understand some earth-shattering theological triumph in this person of Jesus. That's not what they're thinking. They're just thinking, man, I'm hungry, and Jesus gave me food. The man with the withered hand is like, oh, yes, this is fully the Messiah. Or he's thinking, my hand now works. I love the story where it's like, I don't understand what all y'all are fighting about, but all I know is I was blind, and now I see. And that's what's going on in the story, that Jesus provides for those needs as they arise in the Shabbat. As much as the religious leaders want to make it about the rules, as we often do, these people saw Jesus as a friend, as a kind stranger, as somebody who cares. That's what's flowing through these two stories. And both of these stories stir up negative emotions in the religious The rules have been broken. It is true. Jesus broke the rule. Now, not the rule that God gave him. The extra rules, all the religious rules, the ones that good people do. The rule had been broken, and they were livid about it. Do you see that they were filled with rage? Who in their right mind sees a person whose hand has not opened his whole life? Jesus heals it, and they're like, I'm going to kill that guy. Who does that? People who have missed the point do that. You see, what it reveals is that they were so much more about the rules that they had missed the God whom the rules serve. They said these rules point towards God. And they got more involved with the rules than they got about God. They were more involved with what we would say is religion took the place of relationship. Religion became the important thing, not the relationship with God. And here's the other thing that's really important to see in the story is that God was on Jesus' side. If you're just looking at the food thing, you could sit there and say, like, think think about this. Have you ever had a kid act like they're about to die because they got to wait 30 minutes for dinner? 
or a wife or somebody, you know, act like they're going to die because they got to wait 30 minutes for dinner. I have never had that wife part, but um, just saying, I've seen it. You could tell the disciples, I know you're hungry, but wait six hours and then we'll eat after the Shabbat. You could kind of see where they would be a little irritated with that. You're, you're, you're disrespecting our religion. That's not good. It's not really good anywhere. So you can see that. But then when Jesus has the guy, when Jesus sees the man, he says, hey, stand up right here for a second, please. And he does. He stands up over there. There is a huge line in the sand at that point. Jesus is all in, all the cash on the table at that point. Jesus just stepped up to the plate. Mixing all my metaphors, but you know what I'm saying here at this point. This is massive because either Jesus is about to do something that shows that he's not actually the Messiah, or he's about to do something which shows that God Almighty is on his side. And so when Jesus says, stretch out your hand, the God of the universe stretched out his hand and healed him. And God is essentially saying, this is my son. Listen to him. God was on his side. It made all the religious leaders mad because the rules had been broken, but God was showing that the rules are good, but the relationship is better. That's what God was saying in that moment. That God, Jesus, is about the people. Jesus cares about people. Jesus cares about the individual. Now keep this in mind. There is a place for rules and religion. I don't want to act, like sometimes look, like young, hip preachers, they'll get up and they'll act like, man, we don't need religion. And they say all that kind of stuff. And that's just foolishness. It's insanity. Only a fool would act like their relationship between them and God has nothing to do with religion. Religion is not bad. Religion is the way individuals in certain cultures and in certain beliefs express the religion or, or the relationship to God. Religion's not bad. Rules are not bad. Let me give you an example. Today's Valentine's Day, right? And I love Jackie. I love my wife. I love her so much, like wildly love her so much. The other day I told her, I said, I love you so much, it kind of gets on my nerves, so I know that it gets on your nerves a lot. And she just smiled, which meant I'm getting on her nerves. And so what if today, because of Valentine's Day, I decided to express my wild love for Jackie by getting a tattoo across my forehead? And, um, you know, because I have a lot of forehead. Uh, starts here, and it never ends. And so let's say I was going to get a tattoo that says, I love Jackie more than you. All right? Like this in that cool like motorcycle font too. So I love Jackie more than you. And then the first service had a great idea. Jackie's head right here, right? Picture of her. Everything in my tattoo is true. I do love Jackie. And I love you guys a lot. But I love her way more than you. All right? I love her a lot, and I think she's pretty. You see, all this kind of stuff. All of this is true, but would you be surprised if I told you she probably doesn't want me to do that, <laughs> right? She knows I love her, right? You know I love her, but the way in which I express my love is largely defined by her. She doesn't want me to do that. There are other ways that she's comfortable with me expressing my love, and there's other ways that she's not comfortable expressing my love. So if that's logical, if it makes sense, 
that in a human relationship, one to another, that there would be definitions of the way I express my love in appropriate ways by the person being loved, then it would make sense true with God as well, right? That God has a way in which he has said, this is the way that you express love toward me. You act like me. You're sacrificial and generous, that you care for the broken and the downhearted, that you run toward the pain and not away from it, that you love people that are different than you because I have loved you, that this would be the way that we express our love toward him, that there would be truth and order and love and passion, that all of that would be mixed together. There is a place for rules, There's a place for a way. There's a place for religion. The problem is if those rules become the point. When our familiar comfort is what we hold on to instead of chasing after the other people that God has sent us to go and help and to save. If the rules evolve in a way that uh, away from what he has defined and then we start adding to them and forcing other people to live to those rules, then rules have become our God and not the relationship. Because this is very important, and don't miss this part. Jesus loves the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath. It is good. It is pleasing. It is honorable. Jesus kept the rules. It's just he kept the rules and loved other people. The point today is the one that we are sure to get, that we need to get. Jesus was about people. He didn't leave sound doctrine He did not abandon the Bible. And, here I'm using and there purposely, not but. He held on to scripture and went after people. That's what Jesus, and that's what we're called to do. It's religion is not bad. It's just it cannot be our God. That we would be motivated by the good of others and the glory of God. I want you to hear this on a personal note. There are all sorts of stories in Luke that are so moving and motivating about people who knew their brokenness and they went after Jesus. There's a story in the earlier part of Luke in which a man with a skin disease, a devastating skin disease, would have ruined every chance he had at any sort of meaningful and happy and even comfortable life. He rushes up to Jesus and he bends down and he puts his face in the dirt and you can hear him sadly whisper, if you want to help me, you can help me. And Jesus responds, I will help you. There's uh, another story of a man who had an employee, a servant. And the servant was sick. And so that man rushes out of his house. And he goes and he finds Jesus because he's going to bring Jesus back to help his friend. Help the person that he loves. Another story where a man, a, a powerful man, a rich man, has one and only one daughter. And she is sick. She is almost dead. And so that man leaves his daughter and his wife their suffering and goes to find Jesus because he's got to bring that guy back to help his little girl. And he finds Jesus and he asks Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll do it. Let's go back. And before he can go back, this woman who, who it says that she was continuously bleeding, she could not stop the bleeding. She went to doctors. She tried all of the self-help or, or the, 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 the ways that she could get help. No matter what she could do, she could not stop her problem. And so she pushed her way through the crowd, which she is not allowed to be there. But she gets to Jesus and she touches him and he heals her. And then he goes and heals the little girl. This is what 
Jesus does. I have no idea why I'm emotional about it, but it's so beautiful. It is so good who Jesus is. He then helps the little girl. All of these amazing stories about people who said, I need Jesus and Jesus helped them. But you want to know another really cool, amazing story that's in the Bible that you never really pick up on? There was a man with a hand that would not open who was sitting there just waiting to hear the preacher. He doesn't push through the crowd. He doesn't fight his way out. He doesn't cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't say any of those things. You know why? Because he thought this is just his cross to bear. This is just the person he's going to be. He thought that this is just something and that the why would the rabbi care? Why would that person even care? So he just sat there listening to the preacher. Why would he care? But what the story teaches us is that Jesus cared. Jesus loved him. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And he healed him. Because here, listen to me, you are not insignificant. Your problem is not just your thing to deal with. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. Like he cared for the man who didn't even care enough to cry out. Jesus cares for you. And so if you will today trust Jesus, if you will follow Jesus, if you will put your faith and hope in Jesus, then you can be saved. You can be loved and adopted and accepted. You can be a child of God. That's what the glorious good news of the gospel is here. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.